Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 68 of the True Crime All the Time podcast. I'm Mike Ferguson, and with me, as always, is my partner in true crime, Mike Gibson. Gibby, how are you today? Man, I'm good, man. Man, I'm good, man. There was two mans there. Was there? In one sentence. One sentence? You know how hard it is to use the word man twice in a sentence? I nailed it. Man, you get a 10 from the Russian judges. (laughs) little Olympic humor there. Thank you, man. I'm glad you're doing good, though, brother. Yeah, doing well. Hey, TCAT fans, you've heard me talk about it before, but I love Audible. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app, and they make it so easy to discover something new, something you'll love. Right now, I'm listening to The Teacher, which is an amazing audiobook. It's a thriller, and it's got me on the edge of my seat. With Audible, you can also discover thousands of podcasts, from your popular favorites to exclusive new series. And I love the fact that you know I can take my titles with me wherever I go and listen to them wherever I want. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. And members get full access to a growing selection of included audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts. You can download or stream their included titles all you want. And as a lover of true crime, you're going to find a lot of mystery, thrillers, true crime audiobooks that you will absolutely love. New members can try Audible free for 30 days visit audible.com slash TCAT or text TCAT to 500-500. That's audible.com slash TCAT or text TCATT to 500-500. Now, we got to start out quick. We got a lot to cover today. Yeah. And we had a lot of Patreon support, and that is awesome. Want to give our shout outs. So we had Andrew Eastwood, Lauren Archer, Jennifer Loss, Maureen Montgomery, Rebecca Moncaster, Courtney Matulis came out at our highest level. Awesome. Steve Doyle, Lacella Yost, Tracy Robinson, Dana Perham, Sherry Huthry, Kirsten Kendall, April Skeins, Christy Robinson. That's two Robinsons if you're counting. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> we had Carter Somerville. Russ Morgan, Molly Crichton, Angie Jimenez, Donna Johnson jumped out at her highest level. Awesome. Jason Kay, Jackie Grimes, Richard Armstrong, Rose Rector. Yep. We had Natasha Fellows. And I can't see somebody named Fellows Gibbs without thinking of Tracy Morgan on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you like that, don't you? Yeah. I'm Brian Fellows. Brian Fellows. That's a horrible Tracy it Morgan was. impersonation. It was, awesome, but it, was, it was really bad. I don't know why, but... Sorry, tra- Natasha. Tracy Morgan always cracked me up on Saturday Night Live. We had Casey Possinger, Jennifer Schrader, yeah. and Jamie Colwell. Awesome. So a lot of great new support. We appreciate it. And then if we go back into the vault, Gibbs... This week, we selected April Hitchner. Awesome, April. And April has been around for a long time, not just on Patreon. She has been one of our biggest supporters on social media. She's been with us from, uh, you know, very close to the beginning. Thanks, April. So a major shout out to her and, and to all of our Patreon folks, the new supporters and the people that support us month after month. Yeah. We really could not do the shows that we do without you. Oh, no, it's needed. And we had some support on PayPal, too. 
Oh, we did. Yeah. So I got, I want to call out Jody Kingston, Jennifer Schrader again, right? So here's another person in the same week doing PayPal and And Patreon. Patreon. Awesome. Amazing. Katie Quigley. Oh, Katie. Yeah. Katie's awesome. She ordered the, she ordered some merchandise too. Did she? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've been emailing back and forth. Yeah. And then we had Owen Meats. Owen Meats. Yep. I don't know if that's a company name or if that's somebody's real name. And if it is, awesome. Oh, awesome. Owens Meats. I, you got three shout outs right there, buddy. You said Owens Meats. I didn't say there was an apostrophe on the Owen. I, it's Owen Meats. You do you, I do me. Big shout out to Maggie for the writing and the research. Awesome. Awesome job. Thanks, Maggie. And then don't forget about True Crime All the Time Unsolved. Right now, there's an episode out, The Boy in the Box. Yeah. And Gibbs, this is one that we put on the list from the very beginning. We did. But we waited to do it. It's This is what we do. It's a famous unsolved case. A lot of people have covered it, but we knew we were going to get to it eventually. Anticipation. Make people wait sometimes. I do. So make sure you check that out. Don't forget about CrimeCon. If you're signing up online... Use our promo code TCAT. Yeah. Get you a little something off your uh, your standard badge price. I think I forgot to book my room. Did you? Yeah, I thought I did, but then I realized I don't think I did. Well, probably because you keep telling everybody they can stay in my room. Well, I know. And you're yeah. probably, oh, this is a classic give move. Hey, now. You get there and you're like, you know what, Ferg? I forgot to book my I room. Know. I'm going to have to bunk with you since yeah. you already paid for yours. If not, I'm sure I'm find somewhere to stay. <laughs> you just stay in the bar is where you'll be. <laughs> Curled up in the corner. All right, Gibbs, let's get to the subject of this episode. We're talking about Randy Stephen Kraft. And this is interesting timing because just last week we did Patrick Kearney. Right. Man that targeted homosexual men in California. Well, just so happens that Randy Kraft was part of the freeway killer group. It was really three people. It was Patrick Kearney, Randy Kraft, and William Bonin. And Randy Kraft was operating in and around similar areas, right? These three guys targeting the same type of individuals, operating in a very similar area. It's strange. Yeah, what a nightmare for the authorities, too. Yeah, to try to figure it out. Is it one guy that's killing all these people? Is it, you know, they don't know how many it is. But Randy Kraft was born in Long Beach, California on March 19th, 1945. He was the only son and fourth child of Opal and Herbert Kraft. His parents had originally come from Wyoming after World War II began. Randy's dad was a factory worker and his mother was a sewing machine operator. Now, Randy had a few injuries as a child. You know, we always like to talk about those. When he was a year, he broke his collarbone. Probably not much (laughs) into that. But at two years old, he had a nasty fall down the stairs. And he was knocked unconscious for a period of time. So you know that there's some head trauma there. Absolutely. At the age of three, the Kraft family would move to Westminster in Orange County. They moved into a small house that had once been a dormitory for the Women's Army Corps. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. They move into like a a dorm almost. Yeah. 
Very a bunk house or bunk house, yeah. maybe it's described as a pretty small place, but his father over time managed to renovate this place into a three bedroom, make it much nicer because they didn't have a lot of money. You know, this was a family that lived modestly and oftentimes his mom had to pick up odd jobs to supplement the family income. And when you talk about the mother-father dynamic in this family, they were at the opposite ends of the spectrum. His mom was very loving, always there for Randy and his siblings. Right. His dad was not. You know, this is a guy that didn't attend events with the family. People saw him as distant from them. Just kind of disconnected from the family disconnected like doing his own thing just there to provide a paycheck to help out and there are some guys that are like that i i don't get it personally because you know i love my family i like hanging out with them i like going to do stuff with them but i know people like that oh yeah they just come home and do their own thing and they're watch their own shows and their wife and kids or their husband and kids go out and do their own thing so Randy Kraft had sisters and you know this was a kid that was loved. His sisters loved him, his mom loved him. Not so sure about his dad, but you know his dad was a distant kind of guy like we said, but they watched over him. And one of the reasons they did though is he was as a child known as someone who had a lot of accidents. He was accident prone. Like needed a bubble wrap him. Yeah. Like you as a child. I pop my own bubbles, buddy. I, why do I picture like you had to be leashed? You know, like those, they don't call them leashes. What do they call them? Uh, I don't you know. You see them like an amusement park where oh, the, one the parents kid, have them on yeah. them so the kids don't get away. It's like a leash. I don't know. I think it's called a leash. It might be. It's a kid leash. I just feel like you would have been that kind of kid. That's much cooler than Very that. Very rambunctious. Hard to... Get under control. Am I wrong? I, I don't know. I was a cool kid. You're mellow. I was mellow. You're like Fonzie at like I was four. like, I was just ready. I was just thinking, I was going to tell you I was like Fonzie. Were you going to say that? But like a 12 year old Fonzie or an eight year old Fonzie. Well, the show just jumped the shark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fonzie did that on the skis. Right. But have you ever heard that expression? No. Do you know where it comes from? Fonzie jumped the shark right. on the skis. So that expression means that's the point in a show's history yeah where the show started to go downhill oh because that's when happy days started to go, go down downhill because everybody's like that's not realistic so when you hear somebody say that show has jumped the shark yeah it means they're on the decline oh the more you know the more i know there you go dropping a little knowledge yeah but of course he was accident prone right he had broken his collarbone he took a tumble down the stairs so they they were really looking after him when they're living in orange county Randy attended Midway City Elementary, and he was considered a smart kid by both his peers and his teachers. Man, we hear this a lot on some of these guys, you know, that they were fairly intelligent. You know, some serial killers are of above average intelligence. There's no doubt about that when you look at the data. I'm sure my teachers would say the same about me. That you're a serial killer? No, above average intelligence. But talking about how involved his mom was, she was in the PTA. So that just shows you she was involved in his life. Yeah, I know a lot of parents that can't stand being in the PTA, though. 
they avoid the PTA. I have to believe, Gibbs, it's a little bit of work. I'm thinking it is. You got to raise money, don't you? There you go. That's why. You got There's always cupcakes to be made, and yeah. there's always something going on. I'd rather just cut a check. But Randy did well in school. You know, he, he took advanced classes. Did you? I did. You I took, really did? I took all AP stuff, yeah. Okay. Good to know. You sound incredulous. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to use a big word. <laughs> I knew uh, I threw you off there. I don't take it personal. But by the time Randy was a teenager, he started to become interested in politics. And he declared himself to be an ultra-conservative Republican. At a, as a teenager? As a teenager. That's like that Michael Fox show. Kind of. Family Ties? Is that the one you're talking about? Was it Family Ties? Yes, it was. He was always wore the suit to school. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to be a Republican. Yeah. Yeah. That's it then. Okay. There we go. Glad we cleared it up. I'm glad that you are affirming what I already know. Yeah. That's what I do. I mean, he had ambitions to become a U.S. Senator. Now, Randy Kraft, not Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty big. U.S. Senator, man. That's... As a teenager, how many kids did you grow up with that said, you know what? When I grow up, I'm going to be a U.S. Senator. Yeah, I wanted to be a cowboy. Wearing assless chest. I knew that was coming. What I think that was coming. No, but you do, right? Cowboy, baseball player, astronaut, stuff like that, fireman. Not a U.S. senator. Not a U.S. senator. Not very many. When he was in high school, he helped found the Westminster World Affairs Club at his school. And he started this with two of his close friends. So again, we're not talking about a loner. We're not, you're not hearing us say a lot of the things that we talk about. Well, right now sounds pretty normal. Right. Smart kid. He's got friends. Yeah. He's starting clubs. He's interacting. You you were in a club? You keep telling me I was in the chess club, even though well, I was Well, I know. Not. Besides that one, what other one were you in? I don't think I was in any clubs. Really? Just sports. I played sports. I was in that uh, high IQ one. <laughs> Mensa. Yeah, it doesn't come off as good when you don't know the, name, don't know of the name of it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say that you're in, in that club. Not really believing me at this point. That you're supposed to be so smart. <laughs> but it really was. I mean, his peers, his teachers, they, they thought he was a pleasant, smart individual. Yeah. He was getting good grades. He did go on dates with girls. But later on, friends and teachers would say that, you know, even at the time, they suspected that Randy Kraft was gay. When he was 18 years old, he graduated number 10 in his class out of 390 students. Not bad. No, that's not bad at all. It's better than being number 392. How the hell are you going to be 392 out of 390? I thought you said 392. (laughs) No, there's only 390. I was just testing you. Yeah. Was this better than being number 390? 391 and 392 didn't even make it to the to the to their senior year. And because of that, he won a scholarship to attend Claremont College for men as a economics major. So Gibbs, it sounds like we're talking about the biography of a US senator or some high powered yeah. businessman. Yeah, sounds like he's achieving some momentum in life. But this was also around the same time that Randy Kraft began to realize that he was he was gay. He would later say that even though he knew this, this was something that he wanted to keep private. You know, his sexual orientation was not something that he shared with other people. Right. 
And I don't think that's very strange, Gibbs, for what would have been the, what, the early 60s? Well, I mean, I think they're... Late 50s, early 60s? People today that do that, let alone going back to, like you said, the 1960s. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a Preference it's an anyway. individual choice. Now, when he got to college, he joined the Reserve Officers Training Corps, and he started to attend demonstrations supporting the war in Vietnam. Now, remember, he's a conservative Republican. Right. Now he's supporting the war in Vietnam. He also helped campaign for Republican candidate Barry Goldwater in the 64 election. Okay. And I know you did too. Didn't you do some campaigning for for Barry? I wasn't even born yet, man. Oh, sorry. Why do you treat me like that? Kraft later claimed that these ideals weren't really his. this, This came from his parents. And even though he was doing these things, he later said that it really did not reflect his true political leanings. And it would be this year of 1964, no, and it would be in 1964, he's a sophomore in college, when he really let go of all this conservatism. He took a job working at a gay bar. He entered into his first romantic relationship with an African-American man named Mike. And Randy Kraft would head down to Laguna Beach. He was known to cruise the beach and have casual sex with men. And during his time in college, he tried a couple of different times to tell his parents that he was gay. He would bring his male friends around, but I think he was giving off conflicting signals because he did sometimes date women. So at this point in his life, his parents and his sisters had no idea that he was gay. It's in 1966, so he's what, Gibbs, 21 years old, give or take, right. that Randy Kraft would have his first brush with the law. He was charged with lewd conduct because he tried to proposition an undercover cop for sex in Huntington Beach. That's never good. It's not going to end up well, in most cases. But Huntington Beach, like Laguna Beach, was another place that Kraft was known to have frequented for casual sex with men. But he had a clean record. And so there were no charges filed against him. By 67, Kraft has become a staunch supporter of left-wing ideals. So he's essentially done a complete 180. He's registered as a Democrat, and he got a job working as a party organizer. And now he's working to get Robert Kennedy elected. So that's a big flip. Big flip. Big, big to go time. from Barry Goldwater to Robert Kennedy? Yeah, it's huge. Now, unfortunately, we know how that turned out. Robert Kennedy was never gonna was never even gonna get the chance to get to that point because he was killed. But Randy Kraft did so much work for the party that he received a personal letter from Robert Kennedy thanking him for all of his efforts. That's impressive. I wish I had a personal letter from Robert Kennedy. Send you one. Okay. I'll find a Robert Kennedy out there somewhere. But that's not the only 180 that Randy Kraft is going to do because it happens at school as well. You know, he's in his last year of college and all of a sudden he just stops caring about his work at all. You know, instead of studying, going to class, he's drinking, doing drugs, he's staying out all night, playing poker with his buddies. 
man, that does not sound like my college at all. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds eerily close to (laughs) to my experience in college. He slacked off so bad that he didn't graduate when he was supposed to in 1967. He had to take a class over and he had to wait like eight months to be able to take it. Wow. So that that's a lot of partying and doing drugs and playing poker if you're just sitting around sitting, waiting to sitting take around this for class. That. Man. But he did finally graduate from college in 68 and he got a BA in economics. So again, this guy was no dummy by any stretch. He got lazy at some point and wanted to start doing other things. Right. But I think a lot of us have been down that road. Speak for yourself. At one point or another. But there are people that would later, you know, talk about Randy Kraft's time there towards the end of college. You know, we had a roommate that would say that he would be gone for long stretches of time. He would come back at, at very odd hours. There was rumors that he was into bondage. And then people talked about the fact that you know, he had bad headaches. He had a lot of stomach issues. Hmm. Just some, you know, some strange things that that people said about him, and that he was constantly taking Valium. That can't be good. So Kraft graduates. He has this degree in economics, but he chooses to join the Air Force in the summer of '68. He goes to boot camp in Texas, and eventually gets sent to Edwards Air Force Base in Southern California, where he was supervising people that painted test planes. That doesn't seem like a tough supervisory position. Yeah. You missed a spot there. Make sure you get this plane painted. Shouldn't be too tough. But you wouldn't think so. And it's, the, it's a test plane, too. So, you know, how much not, how much energy are you putting into it? It's not even a real plane. I mean, I can see the worker being like, yeah, I missed a spot, dude. But, you know, it's a test plane. Who cares? It just seems like, I mean, I'm sure there was more to it. But it's, you know, okay, I'm a supervisor. Making sure that these guys get these planes painted? I don't know. I painted parts for plane when I was uh, going to college. What, when you were making a model or something? What are you talking no, about? No, we had a, we actually, I worked for a place that did uh, parts for military planes. Oh, and you were in charge of painting some of them? Yeah. I did a lot of odd jobs, man. That was one of them. So I had to paint some of the parts that went onto the plane to government specs. Brother, I guarantee you haven't had as many jobs as me. I've had some of the weirdest mm, jobs. I'd say... Just in two years, going through college there, early on, I probably worked, I don't know, 10 jobs. Yeah, we're probably very similar. Yeah. I worked at a factory where I just put boxes together. You know how boring that is? Hey, I sat at a third shift job one time, just making sure the little plastic injection thing dropped its part and didn't get stuck. Try not to fall asleep doing that. Yeah, tough. After you get done doing your other job, after you've been at college during the day. But Kraft did pretty well. He ended up rising to the rank of airman first class. Yeah, that's good. And it's at this point in time when he comes out to his family, tells them that he's gay for the first time. And you can probably imagine how this went. His mother was very understanding. His father was very upset. Sure. Probably not a stretch based on how... Yeah, but from what we know about him. Based on what we know about that family dynamic. Yeah. But what was strange was that it seemed like it was his sisters that actually pulled away from him a little bit. But then Kraft does something to me, Gibbs, that you know registers as a little strange for this time period. 
because he revealed to his superiors at the Air Force that he was gay. Really? He did, and he was given a general discharge. Yeah, I didn't think they'd... Back then, they wouldn't have uh, allowed that. No. So that's why I said, you know, it's pretty odd. Either he wanted out, because why do it? He had to have known what was going to happen. I think he knew. I mean, he was a smart guy. Yeah. So he knew what what the the outcome was going to be. Because that was pretty normal, I believe, for that time period. But in his discharge papers, they labeled it as medical. And this made Randy Kraft angry to the point where he went to see an attorney to see if they could get it changed, you know, the reason why he was discharged. Now, of course, they're not going to put on there because he's gay, so they labeled it as medical. But the Air Force is not going to change it. And so Kraft moves back home, and he gets a job working at a bar. Now, in 1970, Randy Kraft met a 13-year-old boy named Joey Fancher. And the boy told Kraft that he had run away from home that same day that they met. So Kraft invited him to come home and live with him. But when the 13-year-old boy got back to Randy's apartment, he drugged and assaulted him. Now, Joey was able to escape when Randy left for work, but he was in pretty bad shape. And somebody saw him and they called an ambulance. And it ended up that they had to pump his stomach. He had so many drugs in his system that they had to pump his stomach. And Joey was able to tell police that it was Randy Kraft that had drugged him and assaulted him. But Joey had admitted to police that he had taken the drugs willingly. And so they didn't file any charges against Kraft, which I find hard to believe. I get that maybe this kid took what somebody told him to take. But he still got sexually assaulted. Yeah, I mean, that's still no excuse whatsoever. That part, how are you getting around that? But how many times do we see it, Gibbs? You know, people do things that you would think they would get in very serious trouble for. Yeah, they just get a little slap on the wrist, man. I don't even think he got that, did he? I don't think so. No charges whatsoever. He might have been inconvenienced for a few hours. Mm. The next year in 71, Kraft gets a job at a bottled water plant driving a forklift. But at night, he was going to the different gay bars around town, finding men to sleep with. And then Gibbs, he enrolls at another university and he starts taking classes to be a teacher. This is a guy that's gotten a degree in economics. I'm having a hard time following his trajectory here. Yeah, have you ever been through economics before? I have. What'd you think about it? I actually enjoy it. Oh, you did? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Oh, okay. What I did, I didn't like statistics and some of the other things that went with it, but plain economics, I actually like that. I think if you can get a degree in that, you can probably teach a few things. No, you you definitely can. But the other thing is he gets his degree and then he goes straight into the Air Force. Right. Now he wants to be a teacher. Yeah. It's kind of all over the map. I guess it's things backwards a little bit. Yeah. I guess that's what I was trying to point out. Maybe he's just trying to find his way. Still trying to find my way. I know you are. But it's while he's back in college that he meets a man named Jeff Graves. Four years younger than Randy, they start dating. And on October 5th, 1971, police would find a body on the side of the road. And it would be 30-year-old Wayne Joseph Duquette. He was nude. He'd been missing for a couple of weeks. They put his time of death around the middle of September. His clothes and other belongings were never found. But there was so much decomposition 
associated with this body that they wound up saying that he died from alcohol poisoning. And we have to talk about Randy Kraft's nickname, Gibbs, the scorecard killer. That's the moniker that he's best known as. And we have to talk about it now because eventually they're going to find Randy Kraft's journal. And this is where he would keep track of his murders. And the first entry in that journal was Wayne Joseph Duquette. And next to the entry was the word stable. And it was theorized that this came from the fact that Wayne Duquette was a bartender at a gay bar called The Stables. Randy Kraft's next victim would be a Marine by the name of Edward Moore. And Edward Moore was last seen at the Camp Pendleton Barracks on Christmas Eve, 1972. His body was found a couple of days later along the 405 freeway in Seal Beach. And marks on his body would show that he had been thrown from a moving car. You know, the autopsy showed that his wrists and ankles had been bound. He had been beaten severely and eventually strangled. Edward Moore also had bite marks all over his body and a sock had been shoved up his rectum. So that seems like a very odd clue. The next victim is found on February 6th, 1973. And this is going to be a John Doe found along the Terminal Island Freeway. He was strangled, and it would be determined that he was strangled just a few days before he was found. But guess what, Gibbs? When he's found, there's a sock shoved into his anus. That's a bizarre thing, man. Just so bizarre. I don't know how you could get much more of a tie-in than that. And just a month later, police would find another John Doe. And this time it would be in Huntington Beach. He was missing his shoes and socks. And when discovered, his pants were bloodied. And police would find out the reason for this. It's because somebody had removed his genitals. Ooh. Which you know would have to cause a massive amount of blood. Oh, yeah. I'm Loss. I should have used the word loss in there, but, you know, blood loss. Yeah, I feel really funny right now. You should. <laughs> But this John Doe also had ligature marks on his wrist, and they weren't sure how he died. They weren't, they weren't sure if he died from asphyxiation or just from the blood loss alone. On April 9th, authorities would find the body of 17-year-old Kevin Bailey. He was found along the roadside in Huntington Beach. He had been tortured and sodomized. So we talk about the scorecard killer. And we talked about last week, Gibbs, how prolific Patrick Kearney was. He killed a lot of people. He really did. But Randy Kraft is going to give Patrick Kearney a run for his money. His number may even be higher than the 40-some that we thought was possible with Patrick Kearney. And that just blows me away. Again, to have multiple people operating in and around the same area. Same demographics. Same MO, same yeah. type of victims. Just seems, I don't know. You think people would just be leaving that area. Or shitting their britches, one. Well. Scared to death. Yeah. And not much time is going to pass when another John Doe is found. And this man was dismembered. And 
parts of his body were scattered and found in two different counties. The head was found in Long Beach. The torso, the right legs and arms were found in San Pedro. And the left leg was found in Sunset Beach. So somebody went to some effort of, number one, dismembering the body. Right. And then number two, driving around, taking the risk of disposing of body parts in these different beach areas and different places. It's a lot of extra effort, man. And a lot of extra risk, right? Yeah. Now, they didn't see any marks on the body that made investigators think that this John Doe had been tied up. The other thing that they thought was that the parts of the body had been refrigerated before they were dumped and the hands were never found, but why put them in your refrigerator? I'll keep them fresh. For what? Oh, no. What are you doing with them? I got to know. What? <laughs> I mean, we've talked about people freezing body parts. Well, yeah, we know the you know the guy that froze the head and would have sex with it again and again in the yeah. shower. If that wasn't strange enough, but you know, the guy that liked to the, keep the one foot and Brutos, yeah. Now the only thing I can think of gives in in refrigeration is maybe to stop the the smell. Would that hmm. would refrigerating the it, parts? It's help it a little bit. I mean, it's like any. If not, it's for, you're ruining that refrigerator. For sure. Yeah. I don't know if that's their dead body refrigerator. And it's all like you have your beer refrigerator. Yeah. You Maybe think they it's have like a their separate refrigerator. Yeah. I don't know. I don't get that at all. All right, Gibbs, let's take a quick break and talk about our sponsor, Hunt a Killer. Hunt a Killer sends a package to your home each month full of creepy correspondence, like what you might get from Gibbs if you were his pen pal. But it actually comes from what they call their killer curator. This is kind of a, a Hannibal Lecter type, and he has a mystery for you to solve. And this puts you into the mind of a serial killer. It's like you're living in your favorite true crime series. Each month you'll receive new clues, adding to an ongoing murder mystery. And it's up to you to solve it. But you don't have to do it alone. You can join thousands of other members all working together in Hunt a Killer's online communities. So if you love pouring over creepy codes, ciphers, and clues, Hunt a Killer is for you. Now, Gibbs and I cannot recommend this membership enough. To help support our show, Hunt a Killer has offered a 15% discount for our listeners, which is tracked to this message. Go to huntakiller.com slash TCAT and use the code TCAT to get your 15% off. That's huntakiller.com slash TCAT, promo code TCAT for 15% off. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? As the days get longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. I've been using Simply Safe for about four or five years now, and it's the award-winning home security that I recommend. I've turned a lot of friends, family members, and fans onto it as well. Both experts and customers love Simply Safe for its comprehensive protection. It was just named Best Home Security Systems of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report and recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. They have advanced technology to protect every room, window, and door of your home. They also have a slew of cameras to keep watch for suspicious activity 24-7. Protect your home today. 
our listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/tcat. That's simplysafe.com/tcat. There's no safe like Simply Safe. But on July 28, 1973, not too long after I was born here Gibbs, a man named Ron Weeby disappeared. He was last seen bar hopping and he would be found by the 405 freeway in Seal Beach. And again, they find him wearing all of his clothes, but this time no socks. There's something going on with these socks. Maybe he didn't have socks on. Maybe he was going all like Mommy Vice, like Crockett. I would buy that theory if we hadn't already talked about murder victims with socks shoved up their anuses. Yeah. There's something going on with these socks. Something's up with those socks. Now, Ron Weeby had been beaten and strangled. He had bite marks on his stomach and his penis. And they determined that at some point he was hung upside down. But again, one of his socks was found shoved in his anus. I'm still stuck on that someone was biting his penis. What the hell? There is a lot in play here. It's, it's, uh, I'm alarmed. Kraft's last victim in 1973 would be Vincent Mestis, and his body would be found in a ravine in the San Bernardino Mountains in December. He was completely dressed, but barefoot, and he too had one of his socks shoved into his rectum. So look, we already covered the tube sock killer. But I'm kind of thinking this guy should have been known as a tube sock killer. Well, this this is some there's a lot more sock work at play here than there was with the with the tube sock killer. But then you get into the fact that his head and face had been shaved and his hands had been cut off. And when they found him, he had like plastic sandwich bags over what would have been like the where his hands were cut off. But as if that is not enough for someone to have done to this person, a pencil size object was found shoved into this victim's penis. Oh my gosh. And they determined that it happened before he died. That's terrible, man. It really is. You're hurting me over here. We know it's craft. Was it a number two pencil? I'm going to say it probably was, and that's the most common. Yeah, I just want to make sure one of those, remember those real big, big fat pencils? Well, it's not going to be a big novelty pencil. We know it's Kraft. He's doing some really strange shit. And we just went through a bunch of it, Gibbs. He was very prolific there in the year of 1973. But after this last victim of 73, it's thought that he took off about six months. And to me, that's a very long time for this type of killer. You know, to be killing almost monthly or every couple months, and then all of a sudden it takes six months off because his next victim is not found until June of 74. And this is Malcolm Little, was found naked, propped up against a tree beside Highway 86. And it's like Kraft is finding new ways to shock because with Malcolm Little, He's propped up against this tree. His legs are spread basically so that it can easily be seen that his penis has been cut off. Mm. And not only that, but he had a tree branch shoved into his anus that was estimated 
at about six inches. Okay. So a little branch up is, uh, you know what? Yeah. You can't say anus or uh, rectum or? Uh, yeah. I mean, I draw my line at uh, cocksucker. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that don't listen to Unsolved. <laughs> yeah. That was a turning point when Gibby went went there. Yeah. But imagine this scene. Imagine what these people went through. Well, I can't even, I cannot imagine going through that. I mean, these are brutal attacks, deaths. I don't, you know, you don't know how much of this. A lot of it happened prior to death, though. They determined that. Yeah, I'm just trying to get, you know, not that I want in the head. I'm just trying to think how and why, you know, what was the, the deal, you know, being alive? Why did you, what I, pleasure did you get from shoving a branch up someone's keister? Well, I think you said it. He's obviously getting some type of sexual gratification. Yeah. Has to. But I don't get the biting of the penis and the cutting the penis off and shoving a number two pencil in the penis. Um, Besides, he just wants to hear the people scream in agony. You know, we've talked about some some sadistic people and it it always shocks and, and kind of amazes me how some of these people can get off, for lack of a better term. Yeah doing some of these type of things that for most people, you know, you would, you hear this stuff, you think about this and you're, you're grossed out. You're sickened. I mean, the furthest thing from your mind is sexual excitement, right? Yeah. This doesn't do anything for me. No. And it wouldn't for (laughs) 99.9% of the people. Oh, but there's that, there is that one, (laughs) that one, that 0.1% that, yeah. And they take it to the extreme. Yeah, they do. We see it. At the end of June 74, same month, 18-year-old Roger Dickerson would be Kraft's next victim. And again, Dickerson was a Marine who had told friends he was going to Los Angeles for the weekend. His body would be found near a Laguna Beach golf course. He had been strangled, sodomized. They found bite marks on his penis and his left nipple, and he was found completely nude. But in this murder, Gibbs, I have to talk about the fact that nothing was shoved up his rear end. Well, that's good, because if it was, you know, do that to a Marine, I think uh, then he deserves to get a K-bar shoved up his. Well, that's for sure. But why do it in some instances? Why not others? Those are the kind of questions that I always have. I mean, it is. It's intriguing to want to know what's the driving force behind doing what you did to this percentage of your victims, but not the rest of them. Right. So you got some type of sexual gratification doing this. You could have done it every time, but you chose not to, or you chose to do something else. Or, you know, you're experimenting. He's not doing anything in this one that he hasn't already done. Right. He's not trying something new. He just didn't do some of the things that he did before. That's what always kind of goes through my head, I guess. Now, Thomas Paxton Lee would be found August 3rd, 1974. He was strangled. He was left clothed. And they know that he was seen just the night before at a bar. And just nine days after they found Thomas Lee, they would find the body of Gary Cordova. And it was ruled that he died from a Valium alcohol overdose. Now, keep in mind, we talked about this earlier that Randy Kraft was a known Valium user. 
Gary Cordova was found wearing all of his clothes, but he was barefoot. In November of 74, police would find James Dale Reeves naked with the exception of the fact that he was wearing a bloody t-shirt. It was reported that he never came home after he had been out cruising on Thanksgiving. His body was found leg spread with a tree limb measuring Gibbs four feet long. What? Four feet long and three inches wide protruding from his anus. That's crazy. Are you kidding me? A four foot long, three inch wide tree branch. Did you say three inch wide diameter? Yes. Huh. Well, I'm lost for words. The image alone is enough. I mean, it's hard to put it into words what kind of horror this must have been for this individual. And just the next month, December... John Larris is found dead. It was known that he had been riding a bus. It was also known that he was wearing roller skates. He had, he had just re- recently purchased a new pair of roller skates. But his body is found floating in the water. He had been tied up and strangled. But when they found this body in the water, they found a wooden stake hammered, Gibbs, hammered into his rectum. I know you're trying to find the words. I am. I can't find the words. But it's, it's really just like tough. over overkill. Yeah, it really is. I mean, uh, why? Why do it? He just wanted I mean, he just really wanted to hear his victims suffer. I guess my question is is there some type of sexual gratification in that? Is there an a component of anger? Is he doing it out of anger? I think it's more anger. I can't imagine him like getting off to that, but who knows? Well, we've seen people that got sexual excitement, sexual gratification from some very strange things. But the police did find two sets of footprints that indicated where the body of John Laris had been carried into the water. So that's Pretty interesting. They found that interesting that there were two sets of footprints. So that was 1974. There was quite a few victims in that year as well. Now we enter 1975, and it's on January 17th that a 21-year-old man is found along the PCH, Pacific Coast Highway. He had been strangled. He had all of his clothes on, but he was barefoot. And a strange fact is... He was actually wearing two pairs of pants, one on top of the other. And I can't imagine that, Gibbs. It seems like that would be very uncomfortable. I mean, why? I mean, I get if you're going to be out in the cold and you've you got some long johns yeah. and then a, a pair of pants, but to wear one pair of pants over another pair of pants? It's like pre-spandex. Uh, so here we go, Gibbs. The police decide they need a task force. I mean, there's only been how many men killed... In the last two years, penises bitten, things shoved up their rectums. I mean, how long does it take to figure out, we got a serious problem here, boys. We need a task force. Yeah, I think you get tired of running to those scenes, man. I mean, the socks alone. Yeah. That's not coincidence when you find multiple people with socks shoved up their tailpipes. Even for someone, if they wanted to be a copycat, that's just a lot of work. Yeah, I, it's a, it'd be a strange thing to copycat. Yeah. But I'm always amazed by, now we need a task force. You know, 15 men have died. We need a task force. 
and not just randomly died, right? These are connections out the wazoo. Yeah. So they end up getting police from Orange County, Imperial County, San Bernardino County, together with police from LA, Long Beach, Seal Beach, Irvine, Huntington Beach. I mean, we know that these victims were found in a lot of different areas. It's like all Southern Cal, you know, or... And they even go to the FBI to try to get a profile made up on who this killer is. So now we're into some Mindhunter area shit. And if you haven't seen it, you better watch it. That show is kick-ass. <laughs> Another uh, PSA? <laughs> no, it's a free plug that we're not getting paid for. They come up with a profile of someone that wants to be masculine, but does not feel that way. Wants to be masculine, but he's not feeling that way. So for the feel masculine, he's going to shove a twig up someone's ass and a tube sock. Maybe. Or bite the penis or cut the penis. Well, they got a very specific theory about the penis removal. Okay. And and the nipple biting. Okay. And that was that this person mutilated the nipples and the genitals in an attempt to make a male victim female. Okay. Now we're we're coming around. I think they're getting into the area of this is a man who is homosexual, maybe not happy about the fact that he's homosexual. So he's trying to make this person that he is having real... That he's attracted to seem more female. Female body part wise. That, That was their theory. Yeah. Okay, I can understand that. FBI profiling and just profiling in general is fascinating to me. But no matter what, Gibbs, there is a shitload of murders happening and they don't know who it is. Pretty good chance they're not going to stop because they've been happening very frequently. And we know they don't stop because on March 29th, 1975, Keith Crotwell was hitchhiking and he vanished. His head would be found near Long Beach Marina on May the 8th by three boys who were looking for starfish. Can you imagine that? Three young boys out messing around. They find a guy's head. That'd just be freaky. It'd be like that movie um, with those boys walking on that railroad track. Stand By Me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It'd be like that one. Yeah. Like a seminal movie from our childhood and you can't remember the name of it? I mean, I remember the movie. It was good. All right. You know what that's based on? Uh, no. <laughs> it's based on a short story by Stephen King. Believe really? It, believe it or not. I didn't know that. Yep. It was a good flick. No, I, I did. I like that movie. I get it confused with the uh, baseball one. The Smalls guy. Sandlot? Yeah. How do you get Stand By Me and know, Sandlot but confused? I, I get them. Parts of them. Are they looking for a dead body in the movie Sandlot? I don't no, think they are. The kids all look the same. Oh my gosh, dude. Throw in the Goonies and you got a trifecta. <laughs> Two good movies. Well, Goonies was good, too, but... No, Goonies is really good. Yeah, but all good movies there. All right. You don't know the names of any of them, but Gibbs likes them. But back to our story, Gibby. Yeah. These three boys find a head. That's freaky, man. And friends of Keith Crotwell had seen him get in a car. It was a black and white Mustang. And when he went missing, they started searching for this black and white Mustang. And eventually they found it and they contacted police 
and the police were able to trace it to a man named Randy Kraft. Now, when questioned, Kraft admitted that he had given Keith Crotwell a ride, but said they just cruised around and eventually he dropped Crotwell off at an all-night cafe. I don't think police believed him, Kraft. They wanted to charge him with murder, but the county wouldn't do it. I mean, number one, there was no body. You know, these boys had found his head, but there was no body. There was no cause of death because there was no body. But you have to think, Gibbs, how many more murders could have been prevented if they would have been able to make this stick. And Kraft was actually arrested a few months later in that same year of 75 for a misdemeanor of lewd conduct. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Let me ask you all a question. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run, take a nap, read a book, go fishing? Well, a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. You have to know what's important to you to know how you would use that extra time and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've used the BetterHelp service before and it's great. I love the fact that you, know, you can get matched with a a licensed therapist, have a session from the comfort of your own home through your computer. I don't have to get in my truck, drive, sit in the waiting room, nothing like that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TCAT today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash T-C-A-T-T. Hey, TCAT fans, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Now it's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, the zen seeker, the pasta lover, and yes, the true crime fan. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. I bought a lot of stuff on Etsy for the studio, True crime related stuff. It's just a great place to browse. You'll find all kinds of amazing items. And it's a great place to get a gift for a friend, a family member, a loved one in your life. A gifting moment is always around the corner. But whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode now. Kraft would go on to kill Larry Walter in Los Angeles on Halloween of 1975. And then on New Year's Eve, he killed a man named Mark Hall who disappeared from a party. So very strange to me. He's you know killing a lot of people in 73, 74, 75. And then his last two murders in the year of 75 happened to come on holidays. Hmm. One on Halloween and one on New Year's Eve. Mark Hall's nude body was found January 3rd, 1976 in a national forest. And he had been tortured very badly. He had knife slash marks all over his body. He had been burned with a cigarette or a lighter all over his body. And a cocktail stirrer 
had been inserted into his penis with so much force that it punctured and ended up in his bladder. Oh my, terrible. Can't even imagine. His genitals were cut off. And this time, the genitals were shoved into his anus. And then on top of that, as if all of that is not bad enough, dirt and leaves were shoved down his throat. Now, there's no sexual gratification there, Gibbs. No. no that's, that's just plain anger. I don't know what else you call it. Now, we talked about Jeff Graves. That's the man that Kraft had been dating. He's still dating him. But they eventually break up in 1976. And then Randy Kraft meets a 19-year-old man named Jeff Selig and begins a relationship with him. And it's around this time frame in 76 that our prior episode of Patrick Kearney falls into place because it's at this point that Kearney starts killing and leaving young boys along the road in trash bags. So again, we kind of talk about this overlapping. It, it just amazes me. It's alarming, really. Now, police know that in December of 1976, Kraft killed a man named Paul Fuchs. Paul's body was never found, but his name would be found in the journal scorecard. Now, we talked about this last week, but in 77, Kearney surrenders and confesses to 28 murders. And the killings along the highway stop when Kearney gets to San Quentin. Now, at the time, Charles Manson is there. Now he's dead. <laughs> just throw, just throwing you that in. clarified that. <laughs> just throwing that in. But these killings would start up again in 1978. A man named Scott Hughes... He was a 19-year-old Marine, was found on April 16th of 78 along the 91 freeway. He was dressed, but he was missing his shoes. His genitals were mutilated. His left testicle was completely gone. He had been strangled with a ligature, and he had Valium in his system. In June of that year, a man named Roland Young was let out of the Orange County Jail. And the very next day... His body was found in a gutter in Irvine, California. His wrists were bound. His scrotum and penis had been completely severed. And he'd been stabbed multiple times in the chest. And toxicology reports showed that he had a lot of alcohol and a lot of volume in his system. So again, a lot of things are tying here together. On June 19th, the body of Richard Keith was found. And Keith had hitchhiked from Camp Pendleton to Los Angeles to visit his girlfriend. But they got in a fight that night and he left her home around 11 p.m. to hitchhike back to the base. Marks on Keith's wrist indicated to police that he had been bound and then strangled with a ligature. And then on July 6, 1978, police found a 23-year-old hitchhiker alive. They found ligature marks on his ankles and a cigarette lighter burn on his left nipple. They rushed him to the hospital, but he died not long after arriving. And toxicology showed that he had large amounts of liquor and Tylenol in the system. So basically, Gibbs, they were unable to save him. It was like a, a huge overdose of alcohol and Tylenol. It's a bad combination anyway, but... No, it really is. Especially in, in, I'm sure, in large doses. 
The next victim to be found was a 21-year-old truck driver by the name of Michael Enderbiden. They found him on November 18, 1978. He had been tortured and he had been sodomized with a large object. But Gibbs, his eyelids were burned with a cigarette lighter. I mean, this is some real sadistic shit we're talking about. It's terrible stuff, man. And he was found only 20 feet from where Edward Moore had been found years earlier. Thomas Lundgren was a 13-year-old. He was beaten, strangled, his throat was slashed, and his genitals were cut off. This was in May of 79. And then you get to Donald Crisell. And this was a person that was pushed from a moving car going down the 405 freeway in Irvine. This is in June of 1979. And there were a whole bunch of people that saw this happen because they called the police. Police knew it had just happened from the state that his body was in when they showed up. Now, he had ligature marks on his neck and his wrists, but he also died, according to the toxicology report, from a massive overdose of alcohol and pain medication. Well, then you got Marcus Grabs. He was found on August 6th, and he'd been sodomized, stabbed, strangled, and then his body was found along the Ventura Freeway. Then you had 15-year-old David Hayden. He was last seen on August 27th, 1979. He was found sodomized, strangled, left in a dumpster. So he just treated him like trash. And it's also 21 days apart. I mean, these timelines are, you know, very quick. Yet 17-year-old David Murillo was known to have been hitchhiking, and his body was found in September, beaten and strangled along Highway 101. And then another John Doe was found. There's a lot of John Does in this case. And he was found in two different trash bags, behind a gas station, and in the trash bags were his head, torso, and leg. But like previous victims, they found a sock in his rectum. Now, this John Doe was referred to as 76 on the scorecard because the gas station that he was found behind was a 76, Union 76. So the other amazing thing, Gibbs, is that Randy Kraft was meticulous it sounds like in his record keeping very detailed on november 24th 1979 randy Kraft killed 15 year old jeffrey sayer he was last seen at a bus stop in westminster where he was leaving after visiting his girlfriend his entry on the scorecard is thought to be westminster date so now we get into 1980 randy Kraft has killed a lot of people over a number of years. And in February, he would kill a man named Mark Marsh. And Marsh was found near the Templin Highway and Kraft severed his hands. So again, it's not enough to kill these people for Randy Kraft. He has to do something over the top. And probably for him, Gibbs, it wasn't over the top. Probably felt natural to this guy. And that scares me probably more than anything. Yeah. You think he was uh, trying to compete against the other guys? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. We may talk about that a little bit. At this point in time, Kraft was working. He was a consultant for a place called Lear Sigler Industries. And he was actually making a, a good living. 
you know, very similar to the Patrick Kearney episode from last week. You know, these guys, they worked, they had good jobs, they made good money, but Kraft also traveled a lot for his job. And places where he traveled, murders would happen. You know, there were murders in Oregon when he was known to, to be up there for work. They found a 17-year-old man from Colorado named Michael O'Fallon. He had hitchhiked, made his way to Oregon. They found him hogtied with shoelaces. There was also a cord knotted around his scrotum. He had been strangled, and they found very high levels of alcohol and volume in his system. On September of 80, there were some kids playing by the El Toro Marine Air Base when they found a man named Robert Wyatt wrapped up in a trash bag. The tox report showed large levels of alcohol and antihistamines in his system. And later on, they are going to find in Kraft's possessions photos of Robert Wyatt slumped on a sofa in various poses. Now, they weren't sure in the photos whether he was alive or dead at that point. His eyes were closed. But obviously, as we get towards the end of this, probably not going to be too much doubt of the guilt of Randy Kraft. In 81, Michael Cluck, 17 years old, he was hitchhiking from Seattle down to California and he stopped in Oregon, and that's where he was found, dead. He had been sodomized, beaten, kicked, stomped, and it was known that Kraft was in Oregon at the time because a hospital record showed that he had been treated for an injured foot. So back in L.A. on July 29th, police get a phone call, and it's from people complaining about some very strong foul odors along the Hollywood freeway. And police find two bodies. The first is 13-year-old Raymond Davis. He was found with his hands tied behind his back. He'd been strangled. Now, on the scorecard, he was marked as dog. I have no idea why. Yeah, doesn't. But I have no idea why Kraft does any of the stupid shit that he did. The other body they found was that of 16-year-old Robert Avia. He was strangled with some stereo speaker wire. Kraft killed another hitchhiker in Orange County in November of 82. His body would not be found until January of 1984 on a hillside near the town of Ramona. A month later in December, a man named Brian Witcher was thrown out of a moving car in Oregon. So again, Kraft is back in Oregon. Witcher had high levels of alcohol and Valium in his system when he died. In that same month in Oregon, another hitchhiker vanished. He was found two weeks later, strangled, sodomized with a foreign object. He too had alcohol and Valium in his system. And Gibbs, this foreign object turned out to be a red plastic toothbrush. Are you kidding me? I would not kid you about <laughs> I this know. type of stuff. I just, I, I, okay. So we know Kraft is in Oregon and he's actually seen by individuals who would later report that when they saw him, he was wearing a military style, like fatigue jacket that had this man's name on it. So then Kraft goes to Grand Rapids, Michigan on a business trip and 
he meets two cousins there, Dennis Alt and Christopher Schoenborg. He's seen talking to them by various people. And then later, their bodies are found in an open field close to the hotel where Kraft had been staying. They also had alcohol and volume in their systems. They'd been sodomized. And their bodies were posed in lewd sexual positions after their deaths. Dennis died of asphyxiation and Christopher was strangled. And with Christopher, Randy Kraft shoved a ballpoint pen into his penis before he was killed. It's painful, man. It hurts to even think about it. Yeah, I mean, I've had kidney stone procedures where you go back three days later, you got to have you know the stent taken out, awake. Not a good feeling. Well, no, it's like a straw in a loop, <laughs> double loop shape thing. <laughs> it, it doesn't feel good. Leave it at that. <laughs> now, Dennis and Christopher were listed on the scorecard as GR2. And police are later going to realize that Christopher's car keys, along with a jacket, that jacket that we talked about that belonged to the hitchhiker, were left in the hotel room where Randy Kraft had stayed. So he's not being real careful at this point at all. He's getting sloppy, like we like we like to say. And maybe that's because he's gotten away with a ton of bad shit over the years, and he's just very loose and free at this point. Feels like nothing can happen to him. In December, Kraft went back to Oregon. He killed a 19-year-old hitchhiker by the name of Lance Tags. And his body was found very close to where Brian Witcher's body had been left. And although Lance Tags had high levels of alcohol and Valium in his system, they determined that he actually died from suffocation due to a sock that was shoved into his throat. So he flipped it and went a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. For okay. for what reason, we'll never know. Huh. We'll never be able to figure this guy out. But the police are starting to figure things out because the Oregon police are putting together the patterns. They're talking with police in Southern California about killings with similar patterns. And in the end, Randy Kraft's name is going to show up 18 times on the final list that they compile. But Kraft is not done. He abducts Eric Church on January 27th, 1983, and Church's body would be found along I-605. He had Valium, alcohol in his system. He'd been sodomized, and he'd been beaten on the head with a blunt object. Kraft would kill twice in February. He killed Jeffrey Nelson and Roger Duvall. Nelson was strangled and castrated Found near a freeway, he'd actually been thrown from a moving car. Duvall was found in San Bernardino, sodomized and strangled. Both men had drugs and alcohol in their systems. Now, Randy Kraft is pulled over by the California Highway Patrol on May 14th, 1983. He is pulled over by Chips. John and Ponch pull him over for erratic driving and Kraft jumps out of the car, throws down the beer that he's holding. Sounds like a lot of my friend's dads back in the uh, early eighties. Yeah. And the cops can see that his pants are unbuttoned. They give him sobriety test. He fails and he's arrested for drunk driving. 
But one of the police officers sees a man sitting in the car, covered up by a jacket with a bunch of beer bottles around his feet. And this would be Randy Kraft's last victim. And it was a 25-year-old Marine named Terry Gambrell. Officers tried to wake him, but they found that he was dead. He had ligature marks on his neck. His jeans were open, exposing his genitals, and his hands were bound. Police found alcohol and pills and blood in the car. And they would find more evidence at the home of Randy Kraft because they find all kinds of stuff from his victims. They find clothes, all types of items. They also find a lot of photographs of his victims either passed out or dead. So like I said, they're going to have a lot of evidence on old Randy Kraft. Yeah. That's not going to be a problem. No, this is even when they finally find the... The codes, the scorecards. Yeah, this is when they find the scorecard, the coded list. They call it the scorecard. That's how, you know, that's why they call him the scorecard killer. And in this ledger, or whatever you want to call it, there are 61 references to victims. And when they're done looking at this list, police think that Randy Kraft is responsible for as many as 67 different murders. So this is about the time that the police also start putting together the possibility, did he have someone helping him do this or not? Yeah, we kind of foreshadowed it, but at some point they're going to think that he had an accomplice, right? We talked about the second set of footprints at one scene. There was semen found at another scene that was determined not to be from Randy Kraft. Right. But did Kraft bring it with him to throw the police off? I mean, from an... What do you think? He's just carrying around a jar of semen? Well, I, he's doing other bizarre things. Well, that's true. Yeah, I, could, I mean, what could be that difficult, could it? I mean, he's with these guys. He can, well, that's true. He can go ahead and get some. And well, At this point, Gibbs, I'm not putting anything past yeah. Randy Kraft. Yeah, let me get my vile semen out and spill it all over this person. There is something to that if you think about it, right? Moving all these bodies around, dumping these bodies police believe would have been hard for just one person. Not impossible. We know killers have done this over and over through the years. There's a lot of photos of bodies, but Kraft didn't have a dark room. He was not thought to have known how to develop photos, right? This is not the digital age where you're printing them out on your printer. This is, you're taking them down to that little, you remember those little huts? Yeah, that the were, little, what do they call those things? Photo hut. Photo hut. Yeah. You're taking them down to the photo, photo hut, hut or you're developing them yourself and you're not taking dead body pictures probably down to the photo hut. I don't think so. They don't look too, they didn't look too kindly on that back then. But police were never able to find out who his accomplice was, if he had one. I mean, first of all, his partner that we talked about, Jeff Graves, at this point had died. He died of AIDS before police could talk to him, you know, but they thought all kinds of things, you know, could he have teamed up with, you know, the people that we talked about, William Bonin, could he have teamed up with Patrick Kearney at some point? Yeah. Even though they overlapped, you know, it's something that they thought about. Right. But in the end, he's charged with 16 counts of murder. Now he pled not guilty, Not surprising, probably, that he was found guilty on all counts. He was sentenced to death in 1989. 
And there's so many victims in this case, Gibbs, that we talked about. You know, this is not one where we would spend a lot of time on the trial because there's not much to it, right? They slam dunked this guy. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. He tried to appeal his sentence like a lot of people do. It was upheld in 2000. And police think that he could be responsible for as many as 67 victims. You know, going back to his scorecard, his ledger, whatever you want to call it. But a large number of these have never been found. They don't know who they are. They don't know their identities at all. So this is one gives where his total really could be that high. That's that's amazing. And if it is, it would make him near the top of the list. Yeah, that's, that's scary. That's really scary. He's on death row. In San Quentin with uh, Patrick Kearney. He was there with Charles Manson, but now Charles is dead. I really like how you're making sure you state that clearly. <laughs> I just want to make sure that's on the record. Yeah. But, I mean, that's it. I, I know it's kind of ending in a, in a strange way. Normally, we talk about the trial. We talk about aftermath and things like that. But yeah. with this guy, there's just so many victims and so much carnage that that's the story. There's not much that happens, right? slam dunked into prison and eventually he's going to die. Yeah, eventually. Maybe somebody could take a big pen and shove it up his penis and go out to the yard and find a four foot, five inch diameter tree branch. Shove it up his rear end. Shove it up his rear end and see what he thinks. Well, I mean. That's me being compassionate. It'd be fitting. This guy. It would fit, but. This guy. He's a monster. Yeah. We talk about a lot of monsters. Patrick Kearney was a monster. This guy was a monster. Wow. See if he likes that. How do you like it if you're listening? What if he really was listening? How do you like it? It's coming for you, buddy. That's it. That is the case of Randy Kraft, the scorecard killer. Yeah. Gibbs, we've got some voicemails. You want to play those? Let's do it. Hi, my name's Claudia. I'm listening from Australia. I listen to the podcast every day on my way home from Sydney. Um, if you're interested in any good Australian cases, there's Snowtown and Peter Falconio. And yeah, thanks. Bye. Gibbs, we've got so many listeners in Australia. I know it. <laughs> what was that, dude? I was just, uh, Australian. I know it. I know it. Uh, you sound, <laughs> it just sound like Foghorn Leghorn or something. That's I not Australia. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. We've but. got to do an Australian case. We have to. Well, yeah. We've been saying. What are you waiting on? We've been saying we're going to do it. we got to do it. Get your Vegemite out and do it. Still not tried to Vegemite. Hello, Mike and Gibby. My name is Renee. I'm calling from Massachusetts, um, a city. I'm going to spell it for you because I'd like to hear you guys try to say it. It's spelled W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R. Um, it's actually the second largest city in New England next to Boston. Um, just want to say I really like the show. Um I actually have a degree in psychology and I work for our police department. So I have kind of a unique perspective on things um, that you talk about during your shows. I do have a suggestion. Um, there's a case that happened in our city. The victim's name is Darlene Haynes. Uh, if you want to check out that story and see uh, if it would be something you guys would want to do a podcast on. It's a pretty, pretty interesting story. Anyways, keep up the good work. Stay safe. Keep your own time ticking. Hey, that's great. Thank you for that. And I've got a little background in psychology, too. All right, Gibbs, I am going to let you have this one. Try to say this name. Will that be Worcester? It is. 
There I believe it's I believe it's pronounced Worcester. Yeah. Massachusetts. I know where it's at. Even though it's spelled more like Worcestershire sauce. I can never say that. You gotta remember my mom grew up in Boston. I know. That's why I threw it to you because you're kind of like Southie. One half Southie. That's right. One quarter Southie. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I'm not the math guy you are. Yeah. Hey, Mike and Kimmy. This is Atara. I'm calling from Austin, Texas. And I'm on the Menendez Brothers. <laughs> and I just had to call and leave a voicemail because the part that gave me fumbles the name just had me going and it made my day. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Keep up the good work. And all your podcasts are really interesting. Um, I look forward to listening to all of them. I know I've talked to you guys on Facebook before, and I really want to hear the John Benet Ramsey case. I know you guys have that on the list. Um, but other than that, you guys are doing great, and uh, good thing that crime will always be around, so we can always listen to your podcast. And um, keep up the good work, and keep your own time ticking. All right, great voicemail. I love it, Gibbs, as people are catching up on episodes, yeah. and they're they're picking up on things. The only problem for us is it happened such a long time ago in it's like dog years for podcasts, right? I know you had a hard time saying Menendez. Yeah. And that cracked people up. Right. So it's it's awesome to hear people catching up to certain episodes and getting to just like hearing me say Menendez. I can't even do it now. <laughs> you tried it. Yeah. Skip me. Can't even why would you even try it? You know you yeah, can't just say go it. to the next voicemail. <laughs> But somehow you got Worcester Mass and can't say Menendez. Uh, you know, it's the pressure. Hi, Mike and Gibby. It's Emma calling from Alberta, Canada. I love you guys and appreciate all the time and effort you put into entertaining and informing us. A couple episodes ago, you were talking a bit about a three-year-old child who walked in on Richard Ramirez assaulting the child's mother. <clears throat> and you said that you hoped the child wouldn't remember and wouldn't be affected. Uh, I just wanted to let people know that even though infants and young children may not remember violence that they witness, it doesn't mean that they're not impacted. In fact, it's the opposite. Exposure to violence is more damaging to the developing brain the younger a child is. I wanted to say um, that I love you guys and keep doing what you're doing and keep your own time ticking. Bye. All right. Great voicemail. It was actually a, a much longer voicemail. I had to cut it down a little bit. Yeah, I could tell. That that yeah, at the end she had to call back and kind of finish it. But yeah. she had some great facts uh backed up by Harvard studies and things like that. It was just very long. I had to cut it down a little that's, bit. That's awesome. And she's from Canada. Canada. We got a lot of listeners in Canada. Hey guys, it's Rhonda from Portland, Oregon, and I just wanted to let you know I just signed up for Patreon as a new member and excited to do so because I love this podcast and I feel like I'm a spirit animal with Gibby because I mince neat words like crazy. Anyways, I love the show and look forward to it each week. Thanks, guys, and keep your own time picking. I could tell me and Rhonda were bonding. Well, so now you have another, another member of your wolf pack. Hey, why you got to be down on Team Gibby, man? Because you're... What's up with that? Spirit animals. I'm not down on it. Yeah, we are spirit animals. You just have another member of your wolf pack. Yeah. We just have a little issues with some words. You know how you can put pictures of in your phone for, like, in your contacts? Yeah. For Gibby, I have a picture of the guy from The Hangover in that, in that t-shirt when he's in the hotel. <laughs> nice. That's <laughs> awesome. Huh. All right. 
That is it for another episode of True Crime All the Time. So for Mike and Gibby, stay safe and keep your own time ticking. is over so far you're not losing the only thing you're losing is my patience quickly i see that Bing. the queen of the courtroom is back i didn't do anything you wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face i see he's not intimidated by anything i can fix that new cases she wanted to fight me leave her alone okay so um not this is not a so this is a period Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. (laughs) Judy Justice. Only on Freebie.